Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mission Success Women in Multifamily. I am Laura Kaluger, Senior Editor with Multi Housing News. This month's guest is Linda Dossi, Principal at Jan Architects, an iconic architecture company in Chicago, founded six decades ago. Linda worked side by side with the late Helmut Jan, one of America's most prolific and celebrated architects. Today, she is not only the voice of the firm in defending the merit of various project decisions, but also a female leader who mentors the next generation of architects. Welcome, Linda. Thank you. You've been practicing architecture in Chicago for more than 25 years, so you haven't only seen the Metro's transformation, but you've also been part of it. How much has Chicago changed from an architectural point of view in the past decades, and, and which areas have been subject to the most radical changes? Uh, that's a very good question. I think I would also add that um, my family originally settled in Chicago, so I've actually been having a memory of Chicago and the downtown and the buildings since I was a, kind of a young kid. Most radical changes have been in the downtown area, especially along the Mag Mile mm -hmm. um, since, I, since my youth, but also since I began working here, mostly because um, I remember all the open parking lots. Um, which are now filled in um, and filled in with rather tall buildings. So that has been incredibly transformative to the whole River North and Magnificent Mile area. Uh, another big area of change was when they finished the renovation of Navy Pier and opened it up to the public. Um, that area sort of between Michigan Avenue and Navy Pier was a lot of old warehousing buildings since that was where the old wharves used to be. Mm -hmm. And that area is completely different now. What with um, the new buildings and, and Stern's building that's right there. And it's, it's, uh, it's towers everywhere. Um, but you're right, it's been exciting to kind of be a part of that. I've been able to go to Millennium Park now and kind of look around and, and see the tops <laughs> of certain buildings I've done over the last couple of decades. It's, Must be satisfying. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and what are the main principles that guide your work? You have lots of projects underway and, and you did lots of projects, but I guess there are some principles that you always stick to. Uh, for myself or for the fair? I mean, part of the for reason I was drawn to Jan was kind of, it was very similar to how I think and what my aesthetic mm -hmm. is. Um, so it's a, it's a desire to express materials for what they are, not what they pretend to be. Um, it's sort of an, a revealing and an expression of how the building works, which is sort of this merger of the engineering and the aesthetic that uh, you, can, you can reveal how, this, how the building is held up, how the building is enclosed. You can make that educational to the general public as they walk through and inhabit your building. And how much has Helmut Jan impacted your career? What was it like to work side by side with, with one of American architecture's most celebrated figures? Well, I have to say it was educational, it was entertaining, it was enlightening. Um, it was also very encouraging. So I have to say that um, switching to the, the Yon offices over the past, uh, just over a decade now, it's really grown my confidence quite a bit, more than I thought maybe it would. Um, Sometimes I say that and it surprises people because Helmut was such a strong, compelling personality. Mm -hmm. um, he was definitely not shy with his opinions. But if you were willing to listen to him, take it in 
and then have the the fortitude to to uh, have a conversation about it with him. Um, you realized how much he also appreciated the input. He maybe did not always agree with it, but he wanted to hear it, and he wanted his staff to be engaged and involved because I think he also understood that the sharing of ideas um, can actually move things forward, even in his own mind. It might not be our idea that's the final <laughs> right idea, but uh, I think sometimes our ideas were a springboard for him. And right now, much of your workday is, is spent on 1000M, the 73-story multifamily high-rise under construction on Michigan Avenue in Chicago, for those who are listening and, and are not very familiar with this project. Um, and it overcame many challenges since breaking ground in 2019. And now it is set to include 738 rental units. But I'll, I'll ask you to walk us through the history <laughs> of this spectacular project and, and how it carries Helmut's legacy forward. It's, it's somewhat epic. <laughs> <laughs> it actually uh, began several years even before we broke ground, obviously, and e even a few more years before that. Mm -hmm. um, that project, we're working with a, a client we worked with in New York for the 50 West. Um, and that, that building worked out very well. The, the owner was very happy. So they uh, worked with us for this project. And uh, we, we went through the first round of planning development. We had a completely different design. Uh, the owner liked it. Uh, it was uh, a thousand feet tall, you know, thousand mm -hmm. and thousand feet. Of course. Um, but at the end of the day, we weren't able to get that zoning and it began to compromise the design. So we actually completely redesigned it and, and uh, ended up submitting a completely different design through zoning. Um, that process took about uh, hundreds of models and another maybe 18 months. Um, once, once we get that resorted and got through, then everything moved along and it was at that point 428 units of condo. Uh, but then with the, when the pandemic hit, and we actually finished off that construction set the last month of it under lockdown, which was an intriguing way to learn how to work with an entire team. We pulled it off though. Uh, but then two months after that, the, the site stalled and we began to face a whole new world. So that was when we came back in with the, the redesign and we had to um, very, we already had the caissons in, so we had an abbreviated schedule. And, we very quickly were able to accommodate the requests from the owner and from the lenders to, without making too many changes, effectively convert the tower we had from 428 units into 738 rentals. We also tripled the amenity areas and we worked in some new features that were a result of a reaction to how people were shifting their work style just from this horrible thing we've been going through. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that, that's sort of one large avenue of, of the sort of the history and schedule of the project. Um, the other challenges this building had is its location is part of the Michigan Avenue historic street wall that fronts Grant Park in the city, uh, which is fantastic view and opportunity, but it also means uh, you're working with some very powerful groups in the city that have a say uh, in right. the buildings that get zoned and approved. So we had to work with the uh, landmarks and we had to work with Friends of the Park. I think the work they do is great. I appreciate the push they gave us 
and as a citizen, obviously, I appreciate what they do overall. It did cause us to kind of design our facades so that the lower portion of the building is a proportional reaction to the Michigan Avenue wall and pays homage to sort of the, the bumpiness of the terracotta and the brick and the, the texture of that wall. Uh, also, the building next to ours is very historic and it was built right up onto the lot line and it's condominiums, but they have windows on the lot line. So we had to make a decision whether or not we were going to execute our right to build right up to that and cover up their windows. But instead we saw it as an opportunity to pull the building back and create sort of on-site plaza area for our tenants mm-hmm. and, and allow those windows of the neighbors to remain. That's it's a good idea, but it threw us a curveball with um, landmarks because the, the historic wall has to be unbroken. So we couldn't leave okay. this gap in. So we ended up uh, designing and approving a kind of um, continuation screen so that plaza, that terrace area gets some some screening from the morning light, uh, just so that the visually, as you look at the wall as a whole, we were able to maintain the continuity of it. It sounds like you had lots of roadblocks along the way. And have you ever thought, I don't know, one morning, hey, we need to give this up? Uh, no. no, never. <laughs> It's too it, difficult. It's too hard. Let's just drop it. Are you talking about ever, the project or are you talking the about project, the project? Yes, because it's, it's yeah, the, oh, the project no. itself. No, the project itself is pretty amazing. It, it has a ton of stories. We don't have enough time to talk. So, um, no, I, I, I don't see these things as obstructions. I see them as opportunities. I, I, we're all problem solvers as architects and um you know, I find it more fascinating. If it goes too easily, then I think I'm doing something wrong. <laughs> also, it was part of, of Helmut's legacy. And, and I guess that's, that emotional uh, component of it um, made you move forward. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, for sure. Uh, he, he was extremely passionate about this project. Uh, I know there's stories about him and his sailing. So when we originally were given the commission, he took his boat out and sailed down so that he could take the pictures of what you would see of the building in the future from the lake. Wow. So we so we could use those for our renderings. He was very particular about it. But he, he's like that with every building. Um, his focus and his passion is, was always undeniable. And it could be intense at times, but it, if anything, it was more inspirational, the energy he was willing to put in. Oftentimes he was in the office longer than some of us. Uh, he would allegedly take vacations, but we would be getting uh, sketches and emails the whole time he was away. So uh, he was just, he was very in it. And, and I've always been very in it. And I always appreciated that. You previously mentioned the Thousand M's location within the historic Michigan Boulevard district and the fact that you had to work with lots of restrictions on the tower's design. Uh, what kind of restrictions could you please expand on that and how did you tackle them? Well, the biggest restriction, as I said, was the historic wall. Yeah. Um, some of the other restrictions are you can have a curb cut on Michigan Avenue there. So we were fortunate enough that the back of the building aligns with a variety of alleys and access points for the other buildings in the area. Mm-hmm. It, so if anything, we've created a kind of auto court hub for all of those alleys in the back. So the building itself actually has two arrival points um, and we're trying to make them both equally magnificent. So 
that way you can uh, have a sense of arrival from an automobile or you can do the full pedestrian arrival across from the park or down the magnificent sidewalk which will be more magnificent when we finish right now it's a lot of barricades <laughs> of course and this high profile tower will be Jan's tallest Chicago project to date right yes that will be correct I don't think it's tallest overall I wouldn't want to check that but uh previously the i'm sure i checked that there's a couple of the office buildings that are quite tall that were were done before my time um i know the last residential project we had in town was at ohio fairbanks uh, which is over in streeterville mm -hmm. are there any other residential project that Jan is is working on in the metro right now in the chicago metro yes no uh, we have a couple projects that um, are stalled that seem to be maybe coming back to life that are overseas. Uh, okay. It's, it's some companies only do multifamily. Ours is a very diverse portfolio of work. So we're, you know, equal parts doing uh, a museum in Wisconsin that we're just finishing up. Um, we're doing an office building out in Virginia we're having an opportunity to do some interventions and updates to the Sony Center in Berlin, which was a project that was done by the office in the 90s. And mm -hmm. we're also now daily working on the reimagining and repositioning of the Thompson Center, which is another seminal work of helmets from the 80s. So it's, it's quite intriguing to be able to revisit these older, iconic, very informative projects for the firm and the firm's history and uh, have an opportunity to refresh them and update them and also perhaps a, an opportunity to do the things that Helmet wanted to do the first time around but maybe <laughs> the budget did not allow, but maybe we try it again this time. So that's fascinating to me. And it's also fascinating to me when you consider the opportunity that we have as a, as a a world, a nation, to reimagine and repurpose buildings in an effort to help facilitate our energy use and energy waste. So I, I feel like these are, this is an opportunity for our firm to be a vanguard on how you can take what is now a historic building, although most people wouldn't think of it as such, and show how it can be reused and repurposed. How do you handle everyday stress and all those extremely busy days that I imagine you have and all the challenges <laughs> that come with the responsibility of building for the community, basically. You, you know, honestly, it's one of those things that comes on slowly through experience. Okay. Um, if I had to do the things I'm doing now, uh, 15, 20 years ago, I, I think your question might be a little more apt on how do I deal with the stress, but <laughs> When it, when it comes on to you incrementally, that responsibility, uh, it's a little easier to handle. You have the experience of knowing everything's gonna basically come out all right. Um, it's like a boat, kind of gonna let it drift a little bit, but you eventually, mm -hmm. you stay on course. That's the main thing. Uh, in terms of, I don't know, like hobbies and relaxation, I got into the habit this past couple of years of walking years walking to and from the office and it's really nice walk and very peaceful <laughs> going it's, back it's, to the roots walking and, and doing simple things <laughs> yes but it also brings me walking through the city right uh, so i get to see new projects going up i get to appreciate old beauties 
like also gets a touch of nature as I'm going. It's a make it creates a really nice um, buffer from home to office. So in the morning, it allows me to start to think about what I want to achieve, how I'm going in. But then on the turn walk home, it allows me kind of a wind down time. Um, so that's very pleasant. And um, yeah, enjoy the reading. I've uh, been enjoying watching some sports. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm very also relaxing. A fan. But <laughs> what are you watching? <laughs> well, what kind say, of sports? Uh, I love basketball. Always have. Okay. Um, also, kind of like Formula One racing. There's a few of us in the office that are are keen on it, so we have fun discussing <laughs> it. It's good to have a I'm, need for speed. <laughs> I'm more into tennis. Oh yeah, we usually watch the the majors. <laughs> <laughs> I also know that one way you you like to relax relax is by doing puzzles, which is not that far away from architecture. It is not. <laughs> How did you end up doing puzzles in your downtime? Uh, oh, I, I think I've always been doing puzzles. I've uh, quite a few older siblings, and I think that's how it got started. That and also card games, mm -hmm. um, maybe some strategic games. Uh, and I was actually hobby? doing some puzzles before this call. Uh, <laughs> yes, cool. I find it's a great way to wake up my brain in the morning. Uh, mm -hmm. I've got a crew of friends now we all do the wordle about the same time and then yeah post i'm our also results. doing that every day yeah <laughs> <laughs> then we discuss and then we try to like reverse engineer each other's words um okay. what i what i find sort of adjacent to the field with my puzzles is this sort of sense of anticipation of possibilities might be the best way to phrase it having a few hints and then guessing where it could go where i want it to go where I end up going, uh, it requires a certain fluidity of the mind to move forward. And I think architecture requires that a lot too. You design something, you think you've got it set only to discover the neighboring building's foundation is maybe a foot in closer than you thought. <laughs> Or you believe you've got some results and some solutions. And then Um, some of the things we're finding is, especially now is with supply chain issues, we have to mm -hmm. be a little more fluid about what we're actually going to select and what's actually going in. It doesn't diminish the intent of the design or what our final desired feel is, uh, but it requires a certain ability to shift and change and, and quickly decide a new path sometimes. And I think doing certain puzzles like Wordle or crossword puzzles or Sudoku or dare I say it, Nerdle, um, <laughs> requires you to have that kind of fluidity of mind, but so does playing bridge or hearts or backgammon or chess. So I think all those things are just a way of um, more playfully keeping my brain limber to some of the more day-to-day -day or administerial challenges I face as, as an architect and a designer mm -hmm. and a problem solver. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're also spending a lot of time cultivating new talent and mentoring architects. How does the next generation of architects look like? What are you trying to teach them? Um, you know, I find like architects overall as a whole, and I hate paying into a stereotype, but we all have a tendency to think alike. Maybe we come in different flavors of styles and personalities but at the end of the day we all went into architecture for very similar reasons and very similar 
desires and interests. And architecture is such a broad thing. There's so many ways you can you can fit in and, and participate and mm-hmm. do that and find sort of the path you want. But by and large, we're, we're all very similar, regardless of generation. It's something we occasionally joke about in the office because we've got, <laughs> you know, three generations worth of architects, more or less. I would say they have a, a greater strength that I fully appreciate of pushing for better work-life balance. Okay. I think they came up through the schools and learned a different way than I did, which is a different way than those ahead of me have done. And I, I don't disagree with it. I think it is important to have time to go out and be in the world because all of that experience and observation just comes back in and makes our work better. Uh, in terms of learning the ropes, uh, learning the language of architecture and learning to collaborate and work with others, both within the office, but also with our sort of adjacent colleagues in, in mm-hmm. engineering or landscape design or other forms of design. I think that's pretty common. I think that's mostly just human behavior um, and a desire to succeed at it. Uh, but learning that or learning that language, but also teaching that language, um, because I'm, I'm still learning from above and still teaching down, but it, it goes both ways. I like to think of architecture apprenticeship as a, a ladder that goes both ways. Nice. And when you get someone to have that comprehension of the next level, or you see them growing in confidence and taking on more responsibility for a project, that's just gold to me. I mean, that's, that is the best feeling. (laughs) I I had so many great mentors. So to be able to pass it along, um, but also kind of hopefully instill that idea of, of teaching others yourself, like that's, that's always been very important to me both when I was learning and coming up, but then when you suddenly realize, oh, wait, I'm helping others now. <laughs> that dawning <laughs> recognition. <laughs> yeah, that sort of dawning recognition, like, oh, it's me answering the questions now. Um, right. Yeah, I think that's important to our profession just overall. I think not handing down the information or not learning the new information um, is a detriment. I think um, it's also important to learn from those new staff that are coming in. Our profession, it's important to be at the cutting edge of technology, to be on the vanguard of, of how to help push forward a, a city planning, um, sustainable design, all these things. You have to, I would want to be on the forefront of that. I would want to be someone who's helping to fix the problem. I'm someone who goes in and rolls up the sleeves. <laughs> <laughs> Is this field an attractive op- option for, for women? Are there more women pursuing a career in architecture and design now compared to when you started off in this field? Uh, yes, yes, there are. Uh, I, I started into architecture school in 1990. My first internship was in 1992 and there were very few women and there was a certain expectation about them from the other colleagues. I'd like to think mm-hmm. I helped push and change that. But I also recognize the women who were ahead of me that were older uh, in, in those firms that also had to push harder than I did. And I appreciate that as I'm getting older and also switching from jobs to jobs, I'm, I'm seeing that the access is easier, getting the respect and the profession being more merit-based is, is easier. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's still completely level playing field. I have not seen that yet. I don't, I feel part of that is, is women coming into the field, but then women wanting to do other things and then having 
to come back in to transition back in is a little bit harder and it's daunting and i wish that right. part of it was easier mm -hmm. i wish there was an easier way for women who took the time uh to do other choices in their life to come back in and and just sort of step right back into the flow without any sort of detriment but would you say um the industry is on the right track to to more to being more diverse and, and to promoting equity and and um inclusion it's definitely a mission statement there are definitely steps being taken you can see from firm to firm uh there's more outreach i know that's going out to to schools both at mm -hmm. university and high school level part of that i'm have the good fortune to be part of the aia chicago board the last couple of years so i know there is a mission statement and a drive from some of my colleagues there to really push this forward i, I believe we've made strides i think we can make more I think we should make more. I think architecture is maybe in the in the AEC industry overall, it seems as though architecture is a little more palatable than construction itself or engineering. But I do see more and more women even in those fields. So I'm very positive about it. I think I'd like to see it grow. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Linda, for, for this inspiring conversation. Of course, anytime. <laughs> Thank you everyone for listening and don't forget to visit multihousingnews.com for the latest news, trend stories and podcasts. Mm -hmm.